Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. It's that time of year and we've decided to review all six Home Alone movies. That's right, six of them. But that means we do at least get to start with the original tale of Kevin McAllister and the Wet Bandits. Merry Christmas everyone, welcome to December on The Collector's Cut. We're a movie podcast, I am Peter and I'm joined as always and his very festive Christmas jumper is David. This is it, don't get scared now. <laughs> Do you know what, there's so many quotes from this movie, I had no idea there what you were going to... There's Kevin, you such a disease. Uh, mm. The one that stuck out to me in this viewing was right at the start when the mum says, if Uncle Frank says no, then it must be really bad yeah uh but yeah numerous quotes you could have picked but anyway Mm -hmm. it's christmas season last year we did the santa claus trilogy this year we are going with a heavy hitter we're doing the home alone franchise we're doing all six of these things that's right there's six of them (laughs) i am very very familiar with the first two i have seen the third i saw the third one in theaters because i was still young enough that i was excited about a third home alone uh, as a kid you poor naive thing i know um but i've never seen four i didn't even know five existed and then the sixth one was the one that came out in disney plus like a year or two ago so we got yep. we got that as home sweet home alone's the last one so we're gonna do all six and to get them all out in time for christmas you're getting two of them a week you're getting extra episodes so merry christmas you felt the animals <laughs> I mean, I I remember when we originally planned this, because we've had this in the can, like, planned out months now, and we were like, should we should we give them a gift? Should we do <laughs> two per week? And we just looked at the scheduling, and we're like, we could fit it. All right, here yeah. we go. Well, we've had Home Alone sort of mapped on the schedule since probably before we did the Santa Claus. It was just like, that's yeah. next year's thing. And we'll as we got, like, halfway through the year, we looked at it and went, it was kind of weird to get them all in before Christmas because it's too stupid to put one of them out after Christmas. We'd have mm-hmm. to start them in, like, mid-November, and that just felt weird. And yeah. I was like, oh, let's just do it all quickly during December, get the whole thing done. Like, it, I can't think of any other Christmas franchises that were as big as this that would require this thought. Like, mm-hmm. all, after this, they're all, you know, at most there'll be three or four, and it's a bit easier to just get them yeah. all in before Christmas in December. But... Mm-hmm. For Home Alone, you get a treat. You get you get doubles for a few weeks. So yeah, you're welcome, also, everyone. Just because you brought it up at the beginning, I just I, this will be the only time I show it off. But um, I do just want to stand up for the video audience. My oh, yes. my Christmas sweater, as picked out specifically for this show, is uh, piglets, kittens, and a Tyrannosaurus Rex, who is vomiting rainbows, are all flying around on pizza slices. And when you ask me, what does that have to do with Christmas? So anyway, um, <laughs> well, it's green and there's a lot of red and the yes. other things. So they're it's, all it, wearing Santa hats. Yeah, that's it, it. It looks Christmassy. It's a very Christmassy thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just sporting a Santa hat and a red jumper. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have any crazy Christmas sweaters. I mean, I bought this specifically for this show. So, so you say? Yeah. No, it was gifted by my very dementia-ridden grandmother. We had, <laughs> didn't have the heart to tell her. <laughs> So, welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, we will do a little spoiler-free section. I suspect most of you know Home Alone quite well, mm. but especially, I think, if you're either, you know between my and David's age, you grew up with this. I was mm. born in 89, so Home Alone was just a staple of growing up around Christmas time. 
uh, the first two movies in particular and uh yeah so i suspect we all know this quite well but we'll start spoiler free as well as do the basic premise of course is that kevin McAllister, played by macaulay culkin is left home alone when his family go off to paris for christmas and that would be fine i mean it wouldn't be a big deal really like okay so he's he's, he's just living off the crap in the fridge for a couple of days whatever yeah but there's two thieves who have got their eyes set on the big expensive looking house that they have played mm-hmm. by joe pesci and Daniel Stern, uh, who are hilarious and it's full of hijinks. They want to get in, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say that it all builds up to Kevin defending his home with a series of traps because that's what people think of when they think of Home Alone. They think of the traps. Yeah, and I mean, we'll get to it, but that was kind of the big surprise for me going back to it because I haven't seen this in probably over a decade now. Oh, how, really? Yeah, it was just how little of the movie is actually that. I mean, it's the third act, but I I still remember that being the core focus of the movie. And honestly, it really isn't for a lot of it. Look, it feels weird to compare like a kid family Christmas film to sex, but it's the it's the it's the orgasm, right? You build yeah. up for <laughs> for two acts and then you splurge with traps. That's the Yeah, that's fair. I that's mean the movie. I, I would rather you stop making that comparison, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm done, I'm done. We can, we can right. move on. Uh, so, yeah, let's do... Let, I mean, there's actually... like I think Home Alone, obviously, it's a kid's Christmas film. Uh, if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes score, it's at, like, 60%. So, critically, mm. it's only kind of male-delight. But I think that's irrelevant for people our age. I think, because we all grew up with this, it feels like the perfect Christmas movie to me. <laughs> but, you know... Yeah, uh, it's, it's one of those movies that it's solely driven by nostalgia like everything about it is just you this was part of the childhood and it's a good movie don't get me wrong i think there's real quality to it i think it holds up i, I think there's a yeah. lot of little things that make it hold up beyond just the the over-the-top antics that we'll talk about but mm-hmm. i think there's actually kind of a heart to it that i think people miss oh, yeah. when they when they think about home alone as, a, as an idea mm-hmm. so uh, yeah it's it's good stuff. Obviously, I mean, the cast, we got Macaulay Culkin as Kevin McAllister. He is the lead. He is the kid. He is, you know, he's not the best actor in the world at this age, but he's got a lot of facial expressions. He he reacts well to things. He yeah. he, he fills that, that void of, he thinks about the world differently. And when you're a kid, you relate to him. And as an adult, you're like, okay, I get why he's looking at this, this thing this way and why this mm. feels like a big task, even though it's not really. But... Yeah, you know. it does a good job of, I mean, a lot of this movie is actually through his eyes, not yeah. just like what he's doing, but like how he sees things. And I think it does a really good job of getting that sort of childlike feeling yeah. for his sequences. And the, the entire premise, of course, there's a lot of little contrivances to make it happen. And that's mm-hmm. okay, because that's the, the the whole concept of the movie is that this thing happens, and then we can have yeah. the movie play out. So we have to have well, all the see- contrivances that's the thing you say it's contrivances and to an extent it is but i think that the first 20 minutes of this movie leading up to the point where he is left home alone are some of the most tightly written 20 minutes i have ever seen <laughs> well i was thinking about the second movie and obviously we'll talk about the second movie next episode but mm. i think this i was thinking you know this is way more contrived than the second movie and then i stopped myself and went no that's not true because the second movie does have a big contrivance but I think the second movie's setup to make it all happen is one huge contrivance, whereas mm. this is a series of little contrivances that all build up to the yeah. thing happening. That's um, fair. So I, I like, yeah, we'll get into all that stuff. We got Joe Pesci as Harry, Daniel Stern as Marv, as I said, and they are 
like essential to the movie working like these two mm-hmm. need to be entertaining they need to be likable villains the you know like obviously growing up with this movie i saw joe pesci as harry in home alone way before i saw him as you know the guy in goodfellas or casino or yeah i mean actually i knew him as well from uh, lethal weapon movies actually i mean not that i should mm-hmm. have been watching them as a kid but I was. <laughs> this is this is baby's first Joe Pesci, and yes, to be yes. fair, he still plays kind of the same character the whole way through. He's just a lot lighter on the cursing. I think, and even there's even a moment where he, he's kind of like getting around at the bed. He, he goes like, mm. "Freaking, he's oh, yeah. I'm like, "Oh, you're just dropping f bombs in your head, but you're just garbling it in your yeah. mouth to make it to make it work." What the fridge uh daniel stern's great as well uh Mm -hmm. he obviously is not the bigger actor of the two but he's actually very entertaining and Mm -hmm. is 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 good uh so you've got his parents uh john heard and Catherine o'hara i think she's went on to have a bigger career although john heard has popped up in things here or there i've seen him in things yeah i think it's more so that Catherine o'hara because she does have a much larger part in this movie she does feel like the bigger she, she's the one that has the story with kevin she's the yeah. the one that has the heartfelt story so it makes sense mm-hmm. that you, you remember her more uh yeah. you've got kevin's four actual siblings and there's actually there's a moment in the middle of this movie where he takes out a photo of just his yes. family and i was so happy because i'm like oh this confirms which ones are actually because two of them i was sure on and i was actually right about the other two but it's hard to tell at the start because all of his cousins are around as well and there's right. just kids all over the place it, it's even more confusing because one of the cousins is played by kieran culkin yes so his actual brother is actually a cousin in the movie yes Ugh, uh, which i guess makes sense in terms because i'm like okay i was born a year before this came out like he's only a few years older than me really and it oh, makes yeah. sense that he's, he's that age but it's just because i i remember when i realized that it was his little brother who plays the cousin and i was like but he's like an adult in movies just now. Shouldn't he be older? And I'm like, nah, he's only mm-hmm. a couple of years older than me, really. He's like five in this. So he's like maybe four years older than me. That. He was born He was born September 30th, 1982. Oh, he's actually much older than I thought then. Well, I think this movie, based off of the way they were talking about Kevin, I think this movie had a like a two-year turnaround in post. I don't think it was immediately okay. to 1990. So he was probably a like about 1980 so yeah five years older than you give or take yeah okay okay uh, yeah because kevin's maybe eight in the movie which i'm sure he's he slightly was, old he's yeah he was he was 10 at the time of release yeah that's so. fair so he was probably eight when they were shooting the movie mm-hmm. so yeah very good um yeah it's i think the the brothers and sisters they've all got kind of their one thing buzz gets the most memorable stuff for the yeah. most part uh i i think there's the girl who feel, who talks to Buzz a lot, who's the main sister, I would say, because she has the most things to do. And then mm. there's the other one who's basically remembered. The blonde is just remembered for one line of dialogue, which is, yeah. you're what the French call uh, les incompetent, I think was the line. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the ginger, who has nothing. <laughs> He's just there, right? The only thing I can tell you about the ginger brother is that he puts a toothbrush in his pocket near the start of the movie. That's it. <laughs> That, that's that's, fair. that's all he has. Yeah. That's about all he was doing. Uh, I'm I'm looking through here, and it looks like he basically ducked out of the acting side of things, and he moves specifically into the camera and electrical department. Yeah, he's still been he's working been... and stuff. I was I was looking up the the main siblings here. Yeah, Buzz is still an actor. Uh, as is the the blonde sister. Uh, the 
the older sister, the brunette, she seemed to only do a couple of things around this time, and then basically that was it. She was done with the mm-hmm. movies at that point, for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, I mean, child actors, you got like a 50-50 shot whether yeah, they keep yeah. going or not. Yeah. Uh, Mikiri, Mikiri, uh, Macaulay Culkin, I should say. Uh, I was getting mixed up with his brother, Kieran, there. I was Mikieran. Ma- Mikieran. Macaulay Their Culkin. Fusion. Um, obviously, he did a lot of other stuff as a kid. But, mm. like, for, honestly, these days, I know him more for uh, just guest appearing on various podcasts that he likes. He, yeah. He's shown up in uh, Red Letter Media stuff. He showed up in OSW at one point, And I'm sure he's mm. probably done some other ones that I, I don't watch. Uh, oh, so yeah. he, he's a big nerd by the sounds of it. He likes all this stuff. And mm-hmm. just, you uh, know, maybe he made enough money for the Home Alone, uh, oh, Home Alone I 2. Guarantee you, I guarantee you he, he's been making bank off royalties his entire life. He probably, doesn't have to worry about anything. Yeah, he's, he's doing all right. Uh, the other sibling, or siblings, the other kids, I should say, the, the cousins. Because one of the jokes at the start of the movie is that there's kids everywhere, and Joe Pesci, who's pretending to be a cop in the opening scene, keeps mm. asking, like, so, are your parents here? Or are, they, yeah. or are, you, are they, your parents home, is the exact line? And they say, yeah, yeah, okay, but they don't live here. So then he starts asking that, are your parents home? But did he live here? And it's, 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 he's trying to get to, to, you know, Peter McAllister, who's the dad right. of Kevin, who actually owns the house. And he's, he's mm-hmm. trying to find them. Uh, but yeah, I think like the, the oldest kid who's like a late teenager, who's like a, another curly-haired uh, brunette, she, mm-hmm. I think it's her dad is, is Peter's brother who is taking a job in France, which is why they're visiting them in France. But all of yep. their kids, which is her and like I think some younger siblings, have either stayed with Kevin's family or maybe the other aunt and uncle's family. Um I presume to just keep going to school in the US because, it, you know, maybe it's like a, you know, he's only working in France for a year or two. They don't want to upend the kids and move yeah. them back kind of thing. I mean, that's the thing. The entire reason as to why they're going to France is to some extent explained. But for the most part, it's just, hey, let's get them out of the country it's... far enough so that when the mom has to make the way back, we can have a whole plot there. Yeah, it's one of the little convoluted things. It's one of those mm-hmm. little contrivances we were talking about. Uh, yeah. is just like the whole reason because I think as a kid I just never understood the actual dynamics of the family now that I'm older and I'm, oh, paying, yeah. I'm actually looking to like pay attention to the puzzle of how they all fit together um, but see that's that's exactly what I was saying though is that this was I believe written by John Hughes correct? Uh, yes. I think so that's correct yeah so written by John Hughes it is so tight like right up until the point where everyone leaves and everything's gone and even at the point where they're leaving all of the reasons that could possibly be like, now, wait a minute, shouldn't they have realized at this point? Covered. All of them. Yeah. And it's so tightly written the whole way through. Uh, it's 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 good fun, and we're still just going to move through family members. We've got the other aunt and uncle. Uh, mm-hmm. Uncle Frank, who is yep. very memorable because, well, he says, look what you did, you little jerk, and he's kind of... Mm-hmm. But he's got one characteristic that keeps coming up, and that is a cheap piece of shit, right? Yep. He doesn't want to pay for the pizza at the start. Uh, he He's like, oh, the champagne's free in first class, isn't it? And then he's asking, <laughs> it's like, hey, honey, put, put, put these crystals in your bag from the plane. They'd steal them, steal them, put them in your bag. He's yeah. the cheap part of the family, uh, and that's his whole thing. I basically just mm-hmm. concluded every moment yeah. he has his, his <laughs> final moment is as they are realizing they forgot kevin he's like if it's any consolation i forgot my reading glasses and everyone just looks at him like he's a piece of shit yeah <laughs> yeah nah so frank's great his wife just seems like a normal person who puts up with how much of her deranged husband she has yep uh and that's i mean that's most of the family uh i guess the other big characters were not mentioned is the scary neighbor 
uh, Marley, mm -hmm. who ends up being a big part of the film. And John Candy pops up as the King of Polka. Yep. Polka, polka, polka blues, uh, spinner polka. I can't remember what he says. I, I, I specifically remember just a strange childhood memory from probably like 10 years, 20 years ago, is that my grandfather had a polka like cassette tape he would play in the car whenever <laughs> I was in the car with him. So I am aware of polka. But to see how proud this guy is of his polka achievements, I'm like, all right, let's take a step back there, buddy. Yeah. Uh, and then, do you know what? Not this viewing, right? Because it's a bit gone. But I remember watching this in about, I don't know, 2010, 2011, somewhere around then. And mm -hmm. I remember laughing out loud because there's a scene when the mom's like already back in the US and she's trying to get to, you know, Chicago, which is where they're from. And she's like, oh, I, you know, I got a flight to Dallas and then I got a flight to here. Where am I again? And she's like, Scranton. And I just remember in about 2010 laughing out loud because the only place I knew Scranton from was The Office. Yeah. And just being yep. like, oh, shit, Scranton's been in my life since I watched Home Alone as a child. Oh, wow. The moment they said Scranton, I just was immediately like, well, I can see why this managed to stick out now. Yeah. I, I, honestly, you can, I, I hear Scranton and all I can hear in my head is... Uh, Oh, I can't even sing it, sing it, but the theme song. The yeah, theme the song piano thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the cast. Uh, and mm. we have to talk about uh, the music. John Williams... Mm. Um, of course. ...basically scored Christmas, right? He he done yep. Superman, Star Wars, all these other things. So he scored Christmas. And I don't know if there's any piece of music that makes me go, oh, this feels like Christmas more than the, the main little theme from Home Alone. So there's a point, like, obviously it's played as the main theme as an instrumental throughout the movie, but there's a point where they actually apply, like, lyrics to it as if it's being sung it's, by a uh, choir. Yeah, it's somewhere in my memory is the lyrics to right. say. I, I, as soon as the lyrics were coming up to it, I was immediately second-guessing myself because it just seemed so, the just purified Christmas cheer in musical form he and i'm like there's it. no way that he wrote this there's no way that he just <laughs> made this uh, no he did um because you got the yep. main theme which is the sort of the na, da, 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 right but you've mm -hmm. also got like the hijinks there's like the dun, 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 right Right, John, you know, John Williams, like, he's not my favorite composer, but obviously he's iconic, and I think one of the reasons why he's iconic is because so much of his music is very easy to just hum. You can just do it. Oh, yeah. You can just go for it, and it works. It, may, it Like, it, it balances the perfect thing of memorability and also the emotion that you're supposed yeah. to be feeling there. Yeah, the other one that always sticks out when I watch it is, which isn't as hummable, admittedly, is the, uh... It's like the the brass that plays. It's like the saxophone or mm. something like that. When uh, it's the two villains are like casing the houses out. Oh yeah. And it's like their little theme that plays. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, yeah. It's just it's, it's very good. It's a full, you know, range of of themes that are in the movie that all yeah. kind of come up. So yeah, all, all that stuff's uh, all that stuff's mm -hmm. great. So uh, now the music's absolutely fantastic, and of course the fact that the McAllisters have this big house, which I think when I was a kid I just assumed, oh this is the sort of house I'll have when I grow up, because this is what families mm -hmm. have and no, 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 this man is rich, he is yep. filthy rich uh, yep. if anything, the biggest plot hole in the whole movie is that someone with a house this big doesn't have an alarm <laughs> yeah, that's fair, I mean they, they supposedly live in a very, very nice neighborhood, so maybe yeah, they thought they never yeah. need it, My there's one point in this movie that like, okay, you know 
I live in modern America. I am sure. middle class, if maybe slightly upper. I recognize that I will never have that home. I recognize I will likely never have any home. But the part that pissed me off the most of going back to this nostalgia is there's a part where Kevin goes out for groceries and he's got 19, a full cart. It's like 1982 is the price, 1982, yeah. And he's got toys. He's got like laundry detergent. He is not skimping here. Yeah, and that, it costs him under 20 bucks. <laughs> I was looking at what he had in his... Because you see where he gets his money. He steals money at a Buzzy's like little savings that he's got in yeah. his room. And I, and I never actually like paused it to see how much it was. But I was like, oh, that's maybe $20, $30 in there at most. Like that's all he's yeah. probably got. And I was looking at the shopping trolley and going... There's no way he's got enough to cover all this. This looks no. like at least triple of what the price she said. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe in 1989, 1990, when this was made, maybe that actually was the price of this stuff. And yep. I just have to accept that I've never known prices this cheap. <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, Christmas nostalgia, you're like, oh, yeah, it's about the heart and stuff like that. But then every once in a while, they'll throw out a price and you're like, you sons of bitches I, do you know don't what? know how good you have it. There's a whole bit where, uh, which by the way, I've like this is like one of the only times I think I've heard a character use a wrestling term, which makes me think it wasn't a wrestling term to begin with, but it's become a wrestling term. Is when okay. the mom says, "Do you, do you feel like a heel for us being in first class while the kids are mm. in coach?" And I was like, "Do people used to use that on an on wrestling way?" Because yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. they did. Heel just used to be villain in general. But on price, I bet you those first class tickets that they paid for are probably mm. similar, if not cheaper, than what the coach price is today. Oh, no doubt. That's my that's, no that, that, doubt. That, that's my depressing like moment of like I I bet this is true. It's also all the uh like pre nine eleven stuff where it's like, oh yeah, don't worry what lady, you can just hang out in this terminal for as long as you want. We'll just give you a call. I'm like, yeah, you can do that. You can just sit around there. I almost believe that probably was possible. The, the part that struck me is a bit weirder is when they're running for the gate and the woman at the, the terminal is like, just pick an empty seat. I'm like, what? what? No, yeah. no, <laughs> never. The first class ones, they get, they have specific assigned seats, but the kids in coach, yeah, just scramble them about. We don't guess, need to pay attention. I, I guess you would, because they're running in last minute, it's like, okay, the only seats left are the ones that are for you anyway, so it doesn't really matter if you're in the correct seats. Just, you know. Right. Because the kids technically will all be assigned to a specific seat. Or at least they would be now. I don't know if that was the case in, you know, 88 I mean, when they shot this. Yeah, nowadays it's specific seats for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, the, all that stuff is uh, is, is, is just the, the time period stuff mm -hmm. that uh, sticks out. Uh, there's a line towards the end where he's like, what if he calls the cop? And he's like, from a treehouse? And I'm like, you know, today, yeah, like, you wouldn't even second guess that line. Like, you would just whip out yeah. your smartphone and call from a treehouse. That's that. Uh, there was a YouTube sketch video. I can't remember who put it out, but it was basically what movies would be ruined if they existed after smartphones, oh, yeah, after yeah. cell phones, even. And Home Alone was the very first one where he's like, "I'm home alone," and then he just pulls his phone out of his pocket. And Mom's like, "Go to your neighbor's house." <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, that's why the things. So I'll just say spoiler warning now because we're just going to start talking about yeah. everything. Um, one of the things to set up at the start, though, is that every family in this neighborhood has went away for Christmas, which. Mm -hmm. For me, Christmas is such as such an at home time. It's kind of weird to me that all these yeah. like the entire streets left for Christmas. But sure, it works for the plot of the movie. It's again, it's one of those little contrivances. But mm. it explains why there's no one around that they can trust to go and look in on them, look after them, mm. um, except for the snow shovel slayer. We'll get to him later. We'll get to him. <laughs> uh, but you know, all these things at the start where it's like, okay, 
why they don't have the extra ticket for like to say hey someone's not used a ticket is because yep. when they spill the milk in the kitchen over all the passports and tickets mm-hmm. uh the dad accidentally throws out the one ticket kevin's ticket yep. <laughs> presumably uh, and that's like oh there you go and obviously there's that annoying kid from across the street who's around who accidentally gets head counted for mm-hmm. why they get the, you know why the sister or the cousin gets the right count of heads yep. so it's like okay my, my favorite thing for the tight writing here is they put Kevin upstairs in like the upper upper thing. It's the attic, and they even, basically. Yeah, yeah, in the attic, and they even say like, "Oh, there should be another kid, his Kieran, actually, who's going to be sleeping in the same bed as him." But he convinces his mom to let him Which sleep alone up there. Is because this kid's notorious for wet in the bed. And one of my favorite right. moments in the first fifteen minutes of this movie is when they're all having the pizza, and Kevin looks over at his little cousin, and he's yeah. sitting with a can of Pepsi, and he just looks at him with his eyebrows up, like, "Hey, baby." Like, I'm going to be pissing all night. And I'm like, yep. they're giving me the impression that this kid's going to be into water sports when he's older because the way oh, he no looks doubt. excited about pissing on his cousin <laughs> is just too much. But I love it. But but the, the best part for me is that uh, there is a storm that night that knocks out the power. And, and the phones. Therefore, yeah, well, that's the thing. It knocks out the power, so none of their alarms go off. And that's fine enough on its own. That's a little contrivance, but it's fine. But the fact that they managed to spin that into, okay, the power's back, but the phone lines are still down. And that then allows for later points in the movie to all happen as well. It's oh, yeah. one it, singular event that manages to get all of these it, things coming if out. If they could just phone the house, like, it would change the movie so much. I mean, it wouldn't mm-hmm. ruin it because you could you could say, okay, she's still trying to get back and she's at least talked to him to say, I'm on my way back. You can still mm-hmm. have the whole plot with the burglars and all the rest of it, but... It w- it would take away from the whole because part of the heart of this movie is that Kevin yeah. wishes his family wasn't there and then they're gone and the arc of the film is him realizing no he does want his family he loves them and he's lonely mm-hmm. without them all you know all that stuff and you, yeah if you don't have the constant absence until the very end that would that would ruin that a little bit but mm-hmm. um all that stuff at the start like the 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 phones being out is a big deal the power going out which if not only just for the everything else that comes after but the initial thing that that does is that they are in such a rush at the start of the day that it's like, okay, this is just another thing to let you believe that she might forget that the other son's up in the the attic, right? Mm -hmm. And she's just trusted that the big cousin has made the head count and the numbers are right. But she's not seen them. And even the fact that they're going to the the airport in two vehicles, because there's always that reasonable doubt in her head, he's in the other car, he's in the other van. You know, just Mm -hmm. there's enough, just, just... enough just to suspend your disbelief just enough to believe it could happen and even what we were saying before with like oh they have to pick up random seats in coach no two kids are going to be sitting like because there's no assigned seats yeah there's no empty seat where kevin should be yeah yeah so we get the 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 great realization and all that but the characterization Mm -hmm. at the start for for kevin's is very important right it sets up Mm -hmm. a character which again understandable he's eight right but one of the big things to set up other than just his general immaturity is that he is scared of packing a bag like mm-hmm. when he's told to go pack his bag he's like but i'm eight like, I, I can't pack a bag what do you put in a bag and he's yeah. asking all his siblings like what does he do and they're all just like piss off they don't want anything to do with him so it sets up this kid who can't do anything for himself and that's like actually that is the ginger brother's only contribution uh, mm-hmm. along with the other sister is they say that you know like face it mom's going to do it for you because they do everything for you and i suppose had they woken up on time that would have been something the mom would do last minute like for yeah. him before they mm-hmm. left 
but obviously they're in a rush so all that goes out the window but yeah. that that characteristic obviously the big thing is him wishing he didn't have a family because he gets mad at them all for you know and don't worry even as an adult, I kind of sympathize with Kevin at the start of the movie. And, oh, that's, yeah. and that's part of the charm of it. But the idea of this many people round about my house is like, no, like, like anxiety. I, I straight up, I know that they're supposed to be like, oh yeah, it's Christmas time. We're all family and whatnot. But like, if I had to spend 10 seconds at that dinner scene, <laughs> I would blow my brains out. That is like my definition of hell is that. Oh, absolutely. And it very it was very relatable as a kid as well because the idea of wanting a plain cheese pizza was something mm-hmm. that i definitely would have wanted up until the age of maybe 10 you know I, I don't know when i said no you know what i actually want a bunch of meat on my pizza that sounds That's way right. better but there was definitely a time yeah. when i was that young where i would have wanted a plain cheese pizza i mean to be fair i still go for plain cheese but i will eat whatever i don't have a problem <laughs> but there there was an age where all i would eat was plain cheese and it probably was around kevin's age where it's like this yeah guys you know i'm not gonna have anything else yeah i, I mean i've given up pizza i'm not eating pizza in like four years now no i haven't eaten pizza in at least four hours so <laughs> not because i don't love it i miss it all the time it's just uh mm. like i would eat a whole pizza it was more about just trying to cut down on fat and it's just a blanket thing cold turkey no pizza was no, i got you so i got you i mean i miss it i miss it so dearly but i'll describe it to you whenever you want because I still have it about twice a week. No, you so. shut up. You shut your filthy <laughs> mouth. I don't want to hear it. So, um, yeah. So, they do all this help with his character. That he can't do anything for himself. And that's one of the things you see throughout the film is that he he goes shopping. He gets supplies. Mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. you know, puts up Christmas decorations. He maintains the house a little bit. Obviously not well, right away. Right away, he does all the yeah. dumb shit a kid would do when they realize they've got free reign. But... See, that's, my, that's actually one of my favorite little transitions in this movie is that he goes through that whole long section of just eating junk food, watching movies he's not the, supposed the to. The mountain like, of ice cream that he's eating exactly. at one point, yeah. He's just slurping it all down. And then there's a transition point where he realizes, like, okay, if my family is actually gone, I need to be able to do these things. And so he realizes, like, I gotta go shopping. And so he, at that point, you see this transition over. And the I think the biggest transition marker is that through his childlike eyes, we see the furnace downstairs. And he's scared like the, of it, yeah. He's terrified of it. It makes all these loud noises. He runs out of the basement. But then as he's forced to do laundry down there one day, it starts making noise. We see him get scared of it. And he's like, shut up. And then it's just <laughs> done. And that's just him growing up. That's him learning well, how to do these things. I, I like as well that it doesn't even happen. It's not like he just suddenly turns into feeling I need to be responsible. He does it mm. in this kind of like I'm like I'm going to make believe that I'm grown up. You know, there's that whole scene where he's describing all the products he's used to wash himself with because he's like, oh, this mm-hmm. is grown up. I'm using cologne and I'm using this type of hair gel. And I'm he's, yep. he's he's going through the whole thing and it's this idea of pretending to be more grown up. But mm-hmm. I think what I love about especially watching this through adult eyes and why I think this still works really well is this transition of oh, I'm just going to mess around and eat junk food and not do anything and everything's going to be a mess. And then it turns and then he starts... Yeah, I mean, you don't see him cleaning, but he clearly does because the house isn't a wreck in the second half of the movie, (laughs) along with him going to buy supplies and stuff, is that even as an adult, even if you, like, make it okay for you to be lazy for a couple of days because you want to take some time off and you arrange for, like, two or three days where you say, no, this is my time off, I'm just having a staycation, if if that's the trendy term for it, 
<laughs> Almost everyone after about one day, even if you know that you don't have to feel guilty because you have allotted this time to relax, after mm. a day, you start to hear in your head, I should probably do something. I should do yeah. at least one chore. I should do a lot. And as someone who works from home who does like creative stuff, like after a day of doing nothing, I'm like, I should probably do a little bit of editing. I should do a little bit of work. Yeah. And that is so, re- that even at eight years old, it still kicks in for Kevin where he's like, I should probably start to maintain the place a bit and go get stuff. Which, I mean, is it's very relatable as an adult, but I kind of feel bad for him as a kid of him being shoved into that sort of situation, <laughs> oh, you know, because sure. no, no kid should have to sit there and be like, oh, geez, we're out of eggs. All right, I'll go it, to the it, store. But like, that's what's so beautiful. But as much as you say a kid shouldn't do that, they do point out at the start that he's especially like coddled and he yeah. kind of like Buzz even says it. And as much as Buzz has been a shitty big brother when he says it to his sister, he's like, no, he could use a few days in the real world. The truth is he's kind of right. It actually does make a man out of him in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That being said, I mean, we'll get to it by the time we hit the end of the movie, but um, he, as John Candy says at a certain point, is going to need months of therapy after wow. all this has happened. Well, 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 no. John Candy's <laughs> telling a story of leaving a kid trapped with a dead body in a morgue. That's very different to just being home alone. <laughs> I get that, but I feel like any kid in a situation where his house was broken into as it was and being left alone is going to have A, abandonment issues, and B, afraid to open the door. No. In the real world, you're absolutely right. In this movie, he's basically... This, oh, yeah. This is the origin story of a superhero, okay? This yeah, no is... doubt. This, this is John McClane's, like, protege. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's Kid Die Hard. That's yeah. basically what it is. That's what you could market it as. It, mm-hmm. It's wonderful. So, I think, you know, so he wakes up, you know, and they do this great transition where they get on the plane and she's like, oh... I hope we haven't forgotten anything. Cut to Kevin, mm. open the door with the, the bed head and looking around like, yeah. guys? Mom? Oh. Right? And then I love, this is a great little detail. He runs out and sees the cars and goes, well, they couldn't have went to the airport because the cars mm. are here. And it makes sense that he just wouldn't know. Oh, they've hired a service to come and pick them up. Like, it makes sense he wouldn't know that. Yeah. So it also ties the, into the dad thinking, he, you know, yeah. later on, like, oh, I didn't shut the garage doors. That's what we forgot. And then, one of my, and part of this is because I've been watching this since I was like four, right? Mm-hmm. But there's there's just a lot of moments in this that feel iconic to me. And the mum yelling Kevin as she sits up and realizes she's oh, left yeah. her kid is is one of those moments. It's the oh for Kevin! sure yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's it's it's part of a dual moment. And honestly, it's separated by like a minute or two, so it almost doesn't feel like it. But that's the moment where Kevin is screaming out like mom. And then it cuts to the plane. We see her realizing yeah. it. She shouts out Kevin as well. But of course, so it's both them realizing it. But of course, the arc of the movie is that at first, Kevin's quite happy about this. In fact, he's like, I'm home alone. And he looks straight at the camera and wiggles his eyebrows like, oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> like, it's well, Kevin's no, no. time. The, the line is like sad and solemnly. He's like, I made my family disappear. And then we get a full 30 seconds of just flashbacks to them just being the worst to him yeah yeah and then he looks at the camera he's like i made my family disappear <laughs> yeah it's 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 very good it's 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 very entertaining and like you mm-hmm. say he's watching the the old gangster movie which is not a real movie it's just something they no. shot for this but it was what was it angels with dirty souls or something like that i thought it was dirty faces but you maybe soul sounds sounds actually I more, don't know. It's one or the other sounds more reasonable yeah um and he orders pizza, you know, and it's the mm. the guy who does. It's the same guy at the start of the movie 
who was delighted by his tip. And I actually love that uh, the mum was like, wait, $120 for pizza? And he's like, well, it's 10 pizzas. I mean, actually, that makes yeah. this reasonable. reasonable. If, yeah. uh, if anything, you can only get like four pizzas for that these days. <laughs> oh, God. I know, I know, I know. Things have changed so much. It's, it's, I, eventually, on this show, I know we will get, either on this show or on the Ace, we're going to get to uh, Back to the Future. Yes. And I have words about the gas prices when they oh, come yeah. up. Oh, yeah. I have so, many words. Uh, when the Resident Evil 2 remake came out a few years ago, because uh, mm-hmm. the original game came out in 98, so even the remake's still set in 98, and the game starts at a, a petrol station, and mm-hmm. the, the the price is up there, and it's, it's like an authentic price from that time period. And every, I remember all the streamers like t- mentioning, wait, wait yeah. a minute, I wish I could get, get gas at that price yeah. these days. Ugh, I God, wish. So, um, I do love... There's there's lots of stuff in this movie that is like when it's him going up against the wet bandits, when it's him going up against the burglars, it makes sense that he has all these kooky contraptions and stuff like that Mm -hmm. to basically keep them out of the house. And he keeps doing this for other things as well. Like you said, the pizza guy at one point he comes up and he uses this movie to like fake a conversation so that he, Yeah. yeah. So an adult is home and it's, it's not immediately apparent, at least I didn't think so, that the whole reason he's doing so is because he doesn't want people questioning that he is home alone. Yeah. Like, he knows that he's not supposed to be Which, a kid living on his own. And the funny thing is, is that this is the one where you get why he thinks he has to do it here, because he's a kid. But mm-hmm. in actuality, I don't think a delivery driver would think it's that weird that a kid answers the door and nah. pays for it. Like, that's not that not weird. At all. Yeah. If anything, the weirder part of it is when he goes out to buy stuff at the grocery store, the woman at the checkout is really inquisitive yeah she's like where's your mom where's your dad where do you live and i'm like come on it's a supermarket it's not that weird (laughs) like like i I get that it's you know kevin's acting like he's an adult because he's like oh for the kids and he's like reading Mm. he's like here's a coupon i got this morning and the the thing um yeah i I think yeah the piece of guy stuff's funny him being mad that the tip shit at the start but hey kevin's Mm -hmm. only got like buzzy's money he's not got a lot to mess with here he's got to feed himself um but the i think that and then also even just when he's like using the bb gun with a little like toys and he mm-hmm. sets up like the the the, the shoot that goes down to the the, it's the laundry chute and he sets yeah. he props up the little door with the spatula and he's got the little toys and he's firing the bb gun it's just little things like that that are setting up that he, he is he's got some ingenuity he does like you know and yeah. a way that, and i think that's why the premise of the film works really well is that maybe not, not, most kids aren't as smart as kevin is but most kids do use things for stuff that they're not intended for. Kids have imaginations. They mm-hmm. they build forts out of things that aren't meant to be walls. <laughs> they they build you know whatever. Yeah. It's a very kid like mentality. So all these little things that he does, or even in the middle of the movie, once there's a, he realizes there's a threat to come from these mm-hmm. wet bandits, uh, and he does the whole fake party because he wants to try and trick them to think that there's other people there. Yeah. And he's got the Michael Jordan stand up on the the toy train. He's got some like a mannequin on the record player spinning around. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, my, my big question here is like, okay, you've got like three mannequins here. That's maybe a bit too many he believes in a, a normal house, but I'll go with it. That's however his dad got rich. Whatever I was thinking, his job is, it involves mannequins. I was thinking maybe the mum's job is to like design yeah, outfits or something, and that's why they've got. They never explain it. I just nah. whatever. I'll just go with it. It's fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll roll. Yeah. No. Um. The only other thing that I think is really big for that scene is that it doesn't really have a lot of lead in. If it makes any sense, like up to this point, yes, he does have little things of, like you said, messing around with the BB gun and all that, but 
this is the first time that we see him do like a large scale operation in order to scare off these wet bandits and it admittedly it is just like a bunch of ropes and stuff but he came up with it just within it seems yeah. 30 minutes or so and he's just got this all set up so it doesn't do a whole great job i think of like giving us a lead into showing that kevin is this sort of ingenuity that he is this kind of smart but once we get to it i mean i accept it i feel well, like I, I think that the point is is here you don't see him doing it this is revealing that he's this smart and then later mm-hmm. you see the montage of him setting up all the traps and we okay at this point you've established that he can do this kind of thing that, yeah. he's, that he thinks outside the box uh the build-up to the wet bandits though where you saw you meet obviously you get joe pesci at the start pretend to be the mm-hmm. cop and he's basically just going around finding out when everyone's leaving so he knows when to rob yeah. them but they they're in the other house and they're getting well actually the first time is they actually try to go to kevin's house and all he does is turn on the light and that scares them mm-hmm. away it's like oh shit there's someone here it also does a really great job of basically saying that kevin's house is the richest house on yeah. the block like by far so that's the one that even if they're able to rob from everyone else it's not even worth as much as going to kevin's house and getting everything yeah they want his house I, one of the things actually uh, on the pizza guy scene that i'm thinking about just because it comes up again later with marv when he's at mm-hmm. the door and he uses the same movie is i was thinking one of the more unbelievable things in the movie is that the pizza guy would even mistake well, the gunshots from a movie to be real gunshots because yeah. he, he gets scared and runs away and this doesn't make it convincing but there's a detail here that i noticed that i do kind of like it's at least them trying to explain it is mm-hmm. that when he first goes into the kitchen earlier on in the movie and he turns on the little TV there, which, by the way, was a relatively common thing to have a little portable TV in yeah. your kitchen. These days, you can just bring a tablet in and watch something so no one needs an extra TV. Yeah, it's such a weird little window of time where the tech was small and cheap enough that you could just put a TV wherever. But then nowadays, because everyone has smartphones, they're gone again. Yeah, you don't need to do it now. We've got other yeah. more reasonable options. But this was definitely a thing. I remember... At least for a period, one of my kitchens having a TV in it when I was yeah. young. But my parents, my ha- parents had one that folded down from underneath the cabinet for yeah. like probably six months before someone broke it and, and no I, one confessed up. <laughs> and I, and I get it because I like listening to or watching stuff when I'm doing chores, when I'm cooking, mm-hmm. or or not I cook cook, but like or when I'm washing dishes, like you know I yeah. like to listen to stuff. So it makes sense. But now it's just there's other options. Mm-hmm uh but so it's on its own so the tv's already there but one of the things that in the scene with marv i noticed is that kevin's actually brought in the stereo speakers and hooked them up to the tv mm. there are these big speakers next to them so they're at least selling the idea that he's boosting the volume with these big speakers i still don't believe it would sound real but at least it's like okay he's he is boosting they're at least giving me some kind of yeah. thought process to it it's one of those things where as soon as you start to really poke and prod at it the whole thing falls apart so you just kind of kind of accept of, yeah, no, if you hear people talking, it's going to sound lifelike, even if it's from a TV. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it takes a lot to make it convincing, like, as a real sound. And it's, it's why even, like, some dogs can be tricked, but most cats and dogs are actually really good at understanding the difference between a real noise and the fake noise from the, the mm. TV and stuff. Because their hearing is quite good. And sometimes I'll think, I'm watching something with lots of gunshots and explosions, and they won't even bat an eye. But if someone yeah. just clanks a gate outside the house they'll, their heads will go up and they'll look they can tell it's a real sound see i agree except that my house has an electronic doorbell and okay. my cats freak out from that and because it's electronic it sounds the same as if it's ah. on the tv so anytime there's a doorbell on tv my cats scramble because they think someone's about to enter the home yeah but at least that's still a sign of intelligence because that's like 
oh, yeah. they've been trained to say that that's what that means so th- mm-hmm. that's actually not like a bad thing but yeah i get it uh, yeah. yeah uh so yeah anyway uh wet bandits so yeah first mm-hmm. time the light tricks tricks them away uh, we see them robbing somewhere else and they establish that marv likes to leave the taps running because mm-hmm. it's their calling card it's the wet bandits uh all the greats have a calling card and harry's like i told you not to do that it's a stupid yeah. thing and at the end of the movie we find out why it's stupid because it's a calling card so if the police catch you for any of these crimes they know what all of your crimes are yeah <laughs> this I, is genius it's, it's- it's great because I didn't actually think of that. Like, I was thinking, like, oh, yeah, no, clearly by the end of the movie, just by genre tropes, you know that Harvin or Marvin Harry are going to get caught. It's obvious, yeah. but you don't think about the fact of, oh, and they'll have evidence that they did all of it because of these taps. One of the greatest, like, oh, that's why this is a thing moments I've ever had in a movie. And this mm-hmm. is not a big thing from an adult's perspective. But as a kid, I never understood this. And it's when I watched the movie as a teenager or maybe a young adult, depending on when I watched it around mm-hmm. that time, is that I finally realized that the reason why when Kevin runs through a basement at the end of the movie and it's all like flooded with water, yeah. that it's because this is one of the houses they've already robbed from and they, you know, Marv left the taps on and that's why the basement's flooded. Mm-hmm. That's something that clicked for me, you know, when I watched it later on like when i was a kid i never yeah. got that and i was like oh hey, man like, that's actually a really good detail that's a really neat detail like as a kid you don't even understand it because you you don't expect the fact that we are going to be going back to one of these other houses that they already hit yeah so yeah. you just kind of were just like okay i guess this person has a swimming pool in their basement <laughs> yeah i love that detail mm-hmm. it's not even that big a deal but it felt it felt like a big deal when i realized that. i'm like oh shit all this time yeah. that that's what's going this, on here honestly i've i've I know I've said it like three times now, but I think this movie is kind of a masterclass in Chekhov's guns. Those details, there's they, a lot of details. Where they, yeah, where they take something, they show it to you, and it seems like it's already kind of paid off. It seems like it's something where they could have just left it at that and never mentioned it again, and it would have been fine. But it always ends up coming back in some major way that helps further the plot at that later point. If anything, the tap situation is pretty much the least impactful one because yes the basement is flooded but it doesn't actually do anything yeah uh the the big thing once obviously they realize on the plane and like they're very distressed especially uh, kate the mom mm. very distressed about getting back to kevin and all that and as soon as they get to the airport they're like grabbing this french woman off the phone and like get away get away here you bitch i need to phone my son and if i ever ran into a family like the McAllisters, <laughs> i would hate them they are the worst yes they're they're very american <laughs> yeah no that's fair but they you know they phone the police and like first of all this is just one of these scenes that since I was a kid, it always makes me want a donut because that one cop is eating this mm. great-looking chocolate-covered donut, and I always want it. And I always forget and then notice in the scene that a part of the donut falls on the phone and stays yeah. there for a good little bit before it falls off. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, but again, this is a lot of them going out of their way to explain why the movie can keep going. Because okay, we'll go and we'll send a policeman to go check your house, but this is right after Kevin's had his first encounter and gotten scared from mm-hmm. the the wet bandits so he he stays under the bed and doesn't answer the door so the cops just like ah there's no answer whatever this is a goose hunt anyway whatever uh yep. off it goes so it's like okay we're set, setting up why like because i mean i'm not even sure what would happen in this situation if the police did just like 
you know, speak to Kevin? Did they just make sure he's okay and leave him there? Did they take him somewhere else? I would imagine, based off the situation and how much the police seem to care, it would have just been a, hey, are your parents home? No. Or yes, depending on if he wants to lie. And just checking and being like, well, we got a call from your mom. She's going to be home soonish have a nice day <laughs> and really that's that's one of the major things of this movie is not only making it so kevin is faking that he is actually with people the whole time but it's also making sure that no one is able to tell him that his parents aren't actually disappeared yes yes because he still believes right up until they come back at the end that mm-hmm. they are gone and that's one of the sweet things is he you know he, he finds that santa uh the, yeah. the, and asks him for christmas hey i want and it's this thing where he's like, okay, I'm growing up, I know how it works, you're not the real Santa, but you work for the real Santa. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, okay, he's matured, but he still thinks Santa's real. And it's, it's mm-hmm. just it's this nice little thing where it's like, oh, he's still a kid, right? Yeah. All the growth aside, he's still a kid. And, that and, and even that scene works double duty, because if you continue forward in the thing, assuming kids are going to watch this movie, it explains why on Christmas morning, there are no presents under the tree. It explains where he says, Santa doesn't have to bring me any presents as long as he brings my family. Which and I so, love. He lists all the family, and he doesn't say Frank until the very end. He's like, and if he's got time, Uncle Frank. I guess. <laughs> he can exist in the limbo between worlds if we really have to. <laughs> That's good stuff. Uh, so, yeah, he does all this stuff. He goes for groceries, um, which is mm-hmm. nothing thing. There's the scene where he gets scared by the, the neighbor. Uh, we should probably yeah. talk about him now, actually. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, so early on in the film, and the brother and that's still there, uh, the brother's just trying to scare his cousin. But he's like, hey, mm-hmm. this neighbor, we've got this shoveler who's across the street. He uh, He's a serial killer. He killed a bunch of people on this street, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. But not mm-hmm. enough evidence. So the whole movie, this has scared the shit out of Kevin. So every time he sees him, he is, is terrified by this man. And when yep. he's at the store, try to buy this toothbrush, and he's being like such a Karen to the woman who works there. He's like, is this toothbrush authorized by the Dental Association of America? I don't know. Could you please check for me? With what? That's the internet, Kevin. <laughs> I, I love how she eventually brings in another guy, and you can just hear them bickering as he gets scared by the neighbor. And the one guy just says, why don't you just tell him it is? who cares just say yes he's a kid just say yes he said what why are you bothering me with this yeah um and he gets scared and runs away and then he's like oh i'm a criminal so he has this guilt now because he's stolen yeah. a toothbrush uh because he was scared one of my details i actually noticed this time I and mean, this may not even be an intentional thing but i really liked it when i realized mm-hmm. this so all throughout the movie uh, it's particularly in this this scene at the store where he's getting the toothbrush is you know the it really emphasizes the old man's hand you know he puts his hand on the counter and he's got a bandage over a cut or, you know who knows what he did to his hand doesn't really matter yeah but he's got a cut and he's got a bandage so it kind of represent it makes him scarier because there's blood and it's like oh did he get that cut being a murderer kind of thing in kevin's brain mm-hmm. so he's got this bandage right and he actually if you really pay attention you can see that he's buying plasters or uh, band-aids for the, yeah. the americans right He's literally mm-hmm. there to address this thing in his hand. So he sees him again and he's scared of him. And later on in the movie, when Kevin goes to the church before the third act kicks off, right? He gets yep. the, and he meets the man and he's sweet to him. And it ends up being this good conversation about what family means to both of them. And this old man's got regrets, but they bond and Kevin realizes he's not actually scary. In this mm-hmm. scene, he no longer has the bandage. He has the plaster over the cup. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's like, oh, he's not as scary anymore. So it's kind of set up this idea that a bandage over the hand is a representation of someone that Kevin should be scared of or is scared mm. of. 
neat little thing is that right during the third act, when they're about to climb the rope to come and get Kevin in the treehouse, Joe Pesci puts a, a white wrap around his hand because his hand got burned. Ah. So it's like it's transitioned, like, okay, now he's the real villain because he's the one with the bandage around his hand. I just All thought right. that was a neat little... Yeah, I'm not sure if that'd be intentional, but it does I, make I, sense. I, I don't know. It's, but this is the thing. You see, what, this is the sort of movie you've seen a hundred times at this point. You start to mm-hmm. notice things and little motifs, and I don't know if that one's intentional. It could just be happenstance. But yeah. either way, I like it. It works. That's, uh, as long as we're talking about this sort of stuff um, of motifs, one thing that I noticed from the beginning of the movie straight to the end is that as Kevin grows, the camera kind of moves more to his level. So oh, in the beginning of the movie, yeah. he's always like very much towards the bottom of the frame. It's always looking down on him. He's more of like a child. But then by the time the end of the movie hits, whenever it cuts to him, it's pretty much in level with his eyes. He's on the same level as any other character. That's a very good subtle thing, actually. It's the idea that we're looking down at him, but then at the end, he's kind of more on our level. So mm-hmm. even though we're physically going down, it's more like he's rising up to our level right. thematically, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, that's a nice touch. Uh, Chris Columbus, who directed this, you know, he went yep. on to do uh, the first two Harry Potter movies, funnily enough. Yep. So he... Mm-hmm. Which is... It's so weird that the time between this and Harry Potter is only a, a decade, basically... But yeah. now it's been 20 plus years since that Harry Potter movie. And I'm like, oh, my time is a fickle bitch. <laughs> Just waiting for the reboot now. Uh, it's it's nuts. Um, but he's, he's done a bunch of things over the years. I'm mm-hmm. just getting his uh, directing credits uh, the big up. One, the big one for recent times to show where he's at is uh, Pixels, the pi- Adam Sandler movie. Oh, he yeah. did P- Percy Jackson. I mean, I always looked at that as a Harry Potter, like... Mm -hmm. This only exists because Harry Potter is successful. So it's funny they got Chris Columbus to direct it. Yeah, they probably specifically chose him because of that. Oh, he did Bicentennial Man and Mrs. Doubtfire. That's his other big Mm -hmm. 90s movies. Oh, yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, both the first two Home Alones and then Mrs. Doubtfire made him a big name for a while there. Uh, Adventures in Babysitting is his first movie, though, which I actually do. I I didn't see that as a kid. I saw that much later, but I did have fun Mm -hmm. with it when I saw it. So. He's got, sure. a f- he's got a few decent movies in yeah. his Yeah, I mean, he's repertoire. definitely transitioned more nowadays to producing, so... Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, was, I, I think at this point it's probably a good time to talk about... So Kevin does, obviously, he gets scared, and then he's looking at his photo, and he's like, you know, I actually do want my parents back. I want my family back. Um, yeah. And we've not even talked about all the chaos that he's caused in Buzzy's room. He knocked down all the shelves when he was trying to get the money and stuff. Uh, there's a great yeah. bit just to sort of sell how young he is as well, where he finds his brother's Playboy and he looks at it and he's like, oh, none of them have clothes on. Yeesh. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I love, I've one of the few trivias I actually read for this was that the producers went through and taped together all the pages that actually had nudity on them. So oh, really? <laughs> it was it was a real Playboy, but he was unable to view any naked women. Ah, uh, come on. Give him the PD. Give him the, the yeah. boobs. He deserves it. <laughs> I feel like he snuck in when everyone else was out to lunch and he's like tearing open the page a little bit being like, hey. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, but the thing I wanted to say here is with Kevin's arc is that I think one mm. of the things that gives the movie a lot of heart is obviously the idea that he realizes, no, he does want a family. And that's what makes the movie feel so Christmassy is that it's about him realizing the magic of having his family and the love of that is. And of course he in turn also inspires the, the old man who was scared of yeah. to rekindle with his family because he's got this you know strange relationship with his son and that's why he's at church later is because this is the only way he can see his granddaughter sing in the choir because he's not welcome with his son's family yeah so, i mean he, it, it's basically just a future 
Kevin's story, like if he continues down the same sort yeah. of path of arguing with his family and saying these things of I wish you didn't exist, like this is the kind of thing he was going to end up it's as. It's a warning and, story, yeah. Yeah, and it's beautiful the way it's like honestly, this movie is, in my opinion, broken into two entirely separate segments. It's the day in the life of Kevin living alone without his family, and then there's the wet bandits part. And they can essentially be completely divorced from each uh, other. But, but here, I, here, here's where they come together. This is my favorite thing about this arc. Well, right? hold on, because I know what oh. you're getting to. But oh. the, the, the idea of this church scene, I think, is the emotional climax of the movie. Sure, I think that yeah. is. And also kind of like what that entire Kevin Living Alone well, story was building to as well. Here's but the then, thing, yeah. is that... Before this church scene, he already knows the wet pandas are coming, right? There's a whole scene mm -hmm. where they've deduced he's alone, and you know, even says the title, he's like he's home alone, and they're like, oh, that's coming. Kids are scared of the dark. <laughs> they, so they are you, Marv. <laughs> they give it an entirely separate shot where Joe Pesci turns to the camera and says, I think he's home alone. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, just mark that one off the uh, checklist. Say the so title. Kevin hears all this. He knows they're coming, right? And that's when he goes to Santa and he wishes for his family back and he ends up in mm -hmm. the church with the old man and he has this heart to heart and realizes that he wants his family. And he's yep. already asked Santa he wants his family. He doesn't want presents. He wants his family. Mm -hmm. What I love is that when he leaves that church and he's motivated and that, that sort of like build up music starts to kick in as he's running home. Yep. The decision to protect because he could just not go home he could stay somewhere else right in the church wherever mm -hmm. and just stay away from the danger but he chooses to go back and protect the house not for himself he's protecting the house because this is his family's house and mm -hmm. that's why i think the two plots come together really well these two sides of it is that oh yeah the heart of this isn't that he's just doing this because he wants to be a little shit and like beat up the bad guys He's doing this to protect the family house, the, the, the house that means something to all these people that he wishes were back. He's doing yeah. it to protect Buzzy's room. He's doing it to protect the stuff that his mum cares about and his dad cares about. And mm -hmm. what's so good about the arc of the movie is that right at the start of the film, the first scene he's in with his dad, he brings up that he made something out of his dad's fish hooks and his dad's like, my new fish hooks? He's like, I can't do it with the old ones. They've got smelly maggots and shit on them. Mm -hmm. And the, the idea is, is that in the opening scene, he disrespects what his family owns right? he disrespects their property and then even throughout the movie he's like wrecking buzzy's room right without oh, yeah. giving a shit and the idea is at the end he's like no no i'm going to protect everything that they care about and that's part of the the arc of the movie so there's like there's mm -hmm. a good like heart under all this that oh yeah you know makes it it's not just about him having hijinks and making the bad guys fall and hurt themselves that's part of it obviously mm -hmm. that's the surface level stuff but that that's what gives it all uh all heart and so that gets us into the third act where he he builds his 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 fun house of traps and yeah his jigsaw light he's going to grow up to be a uh, i think i remember people used to joke that he was going to grow up to be dexter back when dexter was a big thing the mm. tv show um yeah. hunting down serial killers uh but you could say he grows up to be jigsaw because it's all trap based <laughs> why not yeah yeah or he grows up to be like rambo or even arnold and predator because he makes a bunch of traps and Predator. maybe he's going to grow yeah. up to be like the I mean, or again, just John McClane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see it. So, yeah, I mean, we're, I suppose we're at the point where we're going to talk about all the traps and all the yeah. the hijinks that happen. Third act stuff. So the we've we've one of the things that this movie I think does very well is that during that first sequence when he's going around the house and he's looking for his family, 
it kind of just gives you everything you need for this final scene right there. Mm. It shows all the different things that are hanging around the house. It shows you how they've already existed here. He didn't have to go out and like buy a blowtorch or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He's making it work within the sequence. They're, they're seeding yeah. everything. Actually, before we talk about all the trials, just to cut to the mum's plot for a little bit and the family stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, so eventually... This is, like, by far the, like, third or fourth plot. It's the least important out yeah. of all. I still like some bits of it, though. Uh, like, obviously, it adds that kind of, like, okay, she's trying to get back to her son. It's part of the heart of the movie and all that. But mm-hmm. they realize, okay, look, there's nothing more we can do in the airport. Everything's booked up. There's no flights for two more days. And th- and I think part of the reason, because at the end of the movie, the mom, like, makes all these other plans, gets all these other flights, gets driven to Chicago. And the others all arrive, like, two minutes after she does which in a way says, hey, you didn't really have to go through all that effort, but it's important for the movie that she did because the whole mm. point is that she feels guilty about leaving her son and she thinks she's a terrible mom and it's about proving to herself and to an extent the audience who might be judging her and saying, you, you kind of are a shitty mom for this. Yeah. Um, is that, no, she's that determined. That it doesn't matter that it didn't accomplish a, you know, a bigger amount of time at the end. It's just about this is how much she cares. She's going to claw and scrape her way back to Chicago no matter what it takes. Yeah, and it's not about it's not about the end result. It's about the effort it took to get there. Absolutely, and what I'm, so they, they all go and stay at the brothers' place in Paris. You know, Peter's brother's place. Mm-hmm. Which um, this guy's obviously filthy rich too because his apartment has the Eiffel Tower out the window. You can see it in the background. No, no, that's just every apartment in France has that. <laughs> yeah, but we've already established that the McAllister family is quite wealthy, so it's not a stretch sure. to think that his brother's also... I mean, he's working in France for a couple of years. He's probably doing well. Yeah, probably. So, because uh, Spiro's got a good point. He's like, hey, let's go back to the apartment because at least the police can call us back there. They can't call us back at the airport, right? Mm. When we're just using payphones and shit. So she's going to wait and try and get like a, like a, you know, a seat might open up somewhere to get back. So they all go... That's where we get the scene with Buzz and the sister there at the 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 you know the, the uncle's house or apartment in France. But the mum stuff. I, oh yeah, uh, right there. My my favorite bit from Buzz is I got three reasons as to why he's good. Oh, I can't yeah. remember the reasons, but the numbering system is A, two, and D. Yeah, Buzz ain't too bright. Nope. He ain't too bright. So but my one of my favorite little scenes before she gets back to the US and she's like begging this couple who are getting on a flight to Dallas, I think it is, from from Paris. Mm. And she's like, hey, please, like, I'll give you $500 because I've got that on me. I'll give you this pocket translator that I have. I'll give you my jewelry, everything but my wedding ring, I'll give you. And No, he, she offers up the wedding ring too. No, she says a ring, but I think it's the other ring because she's got two oh, rings. Oh, it's a different ring? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she, and this old woman has been very sympathetic, but she's also saying... What about those earrings? Those are nice. And she's like, yeah, the <laughs> earrings. Yeah. But my favorite thing about this scene is that the husband just doesn't want to like wait two more days to go home. So he's like, no, 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 no. It's fine. Sorry, we have to go on this plane. And she's like offering everything and the wife lists everything she's offered, like give, giving them first class tickets for their flight yep. back. Which, by the way, these days you can't just transfer a ticket to someone else. No, not you, ha- at all. you have to be assigned to your ticket. But anyway, uh, especially international flights as well. But mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite thing about this scene is that the old man goes, she has earrings at home, a whole box of them, dangly ones. <laughs> like, I just the way he says dangly ones just cracks me up every yeah. time. I, I love it. This movie does a good job with its, like, one-and-done characters, it's even the parts. cops and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. The cops, like, they make an impression despite the fact they're only ever in that one scene. Yeah, absolutely. They're very memorable. Mm. Uh, just a little heightened, you know, they're not meant to be realistic people, they're meant to no. be movie characters. and. Mm-hmm. And that way they, they work. So yeah, the traps, 
So we got a series of hijinks, uh, falling down icy steps, both in the front and the back of the house, shooting the head mm-hmm. with BB guns. Um, I think one of the things that I like here is, um, this is partly why Marv and Harry are so important to the movie, is the way they react to these things, uh, whether it's Joe Pesci mouthing off, or I think Daniel Stern is really good with the body language. That moment where he's trying to get mm. his balance outside the door, and he kind of does this thing where he almost, not that it splits because it's not wide enough, but he sort of like puts his feet out as far as he can go into the wall to keep himself yeah. up. There's just like a rhythm to those moments where he is like making that scene work. The way he is acting is what's making it funny. Oh yeah, he, his slapstick in this is... I mean, I I think that Daniel or Daniel Pesci, Joe Pesci does a great job of keeping up. I think he does a good job with the stunts he's given. But it's obvious that Daniel Stern was given the much more physicality ones, the ones that required the bigger yeah. emotional. Joe thing. Pesci is the mouth. He's the one that's there to mm-hmm. react verbally, and they give him. He gets all the best verbal reactions, pretty much. Yeah. Joe. Whereas Daniel Stern, when he's like you know the nail and the the stairs and and yep. the sticky tar or whatever it is, where he, it, it does that cartoony thing where he like lifts up his foot and he, he delays his reaction before he screams which mm-hmm. is very cartoony but it's very entertaining to watch and he makes it work yeah. there was a moment where he's trying to break into the basement door and he's using his crowbar and however it ended up working out he ended up slipping and sliding on the ice and his crowbar hangs on the door for just like an extra second before it falls down and lands on his head that's a looney tunes bit that's just straight out of Looney Tunes, and he performed it perfectly. Absolutely. Uh, you got Joe Pesci getting branded <laughs> by mm-hmm. touching the hot door handle, yep. uh, which I, I love because it sounds so dark when you say he got branded, but it's not like it's not like he got a brand out in brand. Like he just happened to. It's on him for trying to steal stuff from the house. He, he's get you know he he earned this. I mean. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and in the context of the movie, nothing is really that bad. Everything is all kind of just, you know, played off as a cartoon sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. But there are so many things in this movie that if you took a step back from and looked at, it's like, no, they're <laughs> dead. They died. Oh, sure. These people did not survive this. Why am I... I love that that M's still in his hand in the second movie. We'll get to that. But mm. like, he's still got this M in his hand. And all this is an intentional reference, but it made me think of the movie M from 1931, which uh, a murderer okay. gets branded with an M in the back of his coat. And I'm like, it's just because I've named McAllister, but I just think it made me think yeah. of it for a second. <laughs> which, okay, can we... You're just now bringing this up now. You're right. It's because her name McAllister. Can you imagine being so bougie that you have doorknobs <laughs> with your name branded on them? I mean, it was the end of the 80s, the start of the 90s. It was a different time. This guy must have worked for Reagan. Like, this guy <laughs> must have been all up on that. Oh, good shit. Uh, yeah, all good stuff. I, I, I love the, like... After the nail thing, Daniel Stern, uh, Marv, like, decides to go back out and go a different way. And I love that he goes out the door and you just hear him slip and fall again. You don't see it. You oh, just yeah. hear it again. Mm-hmm. He's forgotten about the ice and he falls again. Yep. Uh, so he, he goes he goes in the window after that. Uh, and mm-hmm. likewise, Joe Pesci gets so angry about the branding that he kicks the door in and gets his head set in fire. Yeah, that's that was the one that was a bit incredible for me because everything else up to this point, it was just like, yeah, you know, there's a couple of icy traps and things that were already like preset this is the first one that required like violence yeah yeah this is something where no you you could die here this is the one where it's not just like haha you slipped and fell it's a 
No, you're gonna you're going to have third degree burns on your scalp for the rest of your life. I mean, not all the traps are painful. Like the like all the chicken feathers or whatever it is that he gets down. Yeah. Like that's just to annoy him. That's just oh, to yeah. piss him off. Which makes it feel all the more disproportionate when simultaneously Daniel Stern has these glass ornaments shattered <laughs> under his bare feet. Well, to be fair, like this is the one thing that feels a bit far fetched to me is that. This is almost like Kevin knew the order would do things. Because if he was still wearing his shoes, this wouldn't mm. be a big deal. But true, true. Because he's done all this stuff in the basement and he's lost. And I love that shot, actually, of but it reveals. It, like, he's already started getting up the stairs when we cut back to him. So you see the first shoe, then the second shoe, then the sock. Mm-hmm. And then it's the second socks coming off on this step. And I'm like, I actually really love that it established he's already made a lot of this journey and that you get the sequence of events. I think yep. that's quite good. So going back to the deciding the order things, is it possible that Kevin only opened the window after? At yeah, the point okay. Where... Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, he is running about doing stuff in the house. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, he's he's got an attitude. He's he's, he's grew a pair of balls because he's he's taunting them. You know, when he was yeah. so scared earlier on. Uh, you know, there's a real bravery element to this <laughs> movie. Uh, so. Yeah, everyone remembers the the paint buckets, though. I mean, that's the most iconic yeah. trap, I think, of the whole movie, uh, mm-hmm. is them getting hit in the face with the paint buckets. Yep. And then they make their way upstairs. There's a tripwire yeah. set up at that point. And then, strangely enough, the one thing that is not accounted for in Kevin's plan of all this is he actually does get caught at this point. Uh, I think it's Marv does yeah. manage to actually get his hand on him, hold himself for a while, but... Because throughout this entire movie, we've seen Buzz's pet tarantula has been moving about since he broke the cage. It just happens to be within arm's reach so that he's able to throw the tarantula onto Marv and escape. Which is kind of nice because it's like, it's help from the family. This is Buzz's pet Mm -hmm. that's showing up to help. So sure enough, we get uh, that shot of Daniel Stern with this tarantula on his face, which... Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he likes spiders, but I can't. If he doesn't, and that's most people, he probably did not enjoy filming that scene. I mean, I have to imagine he was more neutral, where he wasn't totally against it. Though I did see a trivia bit where, essentially, he consulted the uh, animal handlers there and yeah. wanted to make sure that the tarantula did not have eardrums, or like it would be okay with him screaming at the top of his lungs, like yeah. right next to it, because that scream was actually recorded like in that shot it wasn't added mm. in post so yeah which is good because you could, i think if you faked the scream by not actually making sound it would probably be noticeable with it well, being dubbed in I, I mean if we're gonna real quick go back the most iconic shot in this movie i would say is the aftershave applying and he oh yeah, holds yeah. his cheeks and he goes ah i i feel like that was the most obvious dubbed in scream because they did it twice yeah yeah that's and I don't feel like people really remember, A, that they even did it twice. I think they only remember it's done once in the movie. But then B, is that it is so obviously dubbed in Scream afterwards. Yeah, I wonder if... Maybe that's just partly because uh, maybe... I mean, he's not old enough for his voice to break, but maybe his voice... Because he's a kid, maybe his voice was changing over time, mm. so they wanted to get a good Scream in the booth kind of thing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the big... There's always like a finale trap, at least in these first two movies, and the finale trap in this, of course, is that he, he zip lines across to his treehouse with this rope, and then they climb out after him, thinking they're outsmarting him. Like, oh, we're not going to like run over there. He wants us to do that. We're going to climb over. And then, mm. obviously, Kevin just whips out the garden shears. <laughs> yeah, which the zip lining over scene is the only time I definitively noticed the stunt double. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. Kevin. Yeah. Because that is a 30-year-old man. 
And I, you notice it as well on uh, Harry with the fire on his head when he's going to eat the snow. And they, they cut around it really well mm-hmm. to avoid it as much as possible. But you can, if you're paying attention, you can tell it's not Joe Pesci. That's fair. But I'm just yeah. saying, like, Joe Pesci, at least it's the same build as Joe Pesci. Sure. Whereas Macaulay Culkin, it is a short 30-year-old man. Like, there is no <laughs> way around that. Yeah, I'm like, is it really that dangerous? Because to... I feel like for the wide shot, you can't see the ground. So why not just put a lot of crash pads so that it's, it's safe for him to just do it? You know? I mean, I don't know about back in the 90s, but I know nowadays it's all because of insurance reasons. Like, if the entire production has to stop because someone sprains their wrist even or, like, mm. dislocates a thumb, then it's losing hundreds of thousands <sighs> of dollars a day. I'm, I... I, I would be like, you know what, I, if I was, if, I'm actually as a kid, so maybe doesn't have that much pull, but I'd be like, look, director, leave the camera rolling, I'm going to go do it without permission, okay? And then you've got the footage at that point, so... Yeah, may as well. Who cares? I mean, that's more or less what Tom Cruise does in order to do his own stunts. <laughs> that's true, that's he, true. He basically just tells him, like, look, I'll pay for the insurance, just let me do it. It's better sometimes to ask for forgiveness than permission. Mm. And that's, yeah. that's, you know, that's the trick to it sometimes. Uh, but yeah, so they they go flying into a wall. Uh, good yep. fun, and they they that's just where and this is the thing. Like Kevin already phoned the police from his house, but he phoned and he gave the name Murphy, which I have to assume is the person who lives at the house that he runs to, and that's mm-hmm. because he's, he's he's making sure the cops arrive where he's going, right? Which again, brilliant in the idea of this. The only reason for this to exist is so that the police don't find him living on his own. The police arrive at a different house, and they don't ever have to yeah. investigate the McAllister house. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, they do finally trick him by getting ahead of him. They grab mm-hmm. him, and for a minute, there's a little bit of menace. Because like, they're very high-drinky villains. You're not necessarily worried for Kevin, really, for most of the movie. This isn't Dial Code Santa Claus, which is a very similar movie from uh, France. I remember that one. Uh, yeah. Which me and uh, Tim did on streams. And it's a great little movie, actually. There's some people have accused of Home Alone of ripping it off because it came out a year prior. I, I mm-hmm. think it's too close for it actually to be a ripoff, and it's very nah. different in a lot of ways, but there are obviously some broad similarities. But the bad guy in that, who's a psychopath dressed as Santa, like, no, he will murder the kid if he gets to him, right? The kid's oh, yeah. fighting for his life. Here, maybe a little bit towards the end, you're like, okay, they're actually pissed at him now, they might hurt him, but mm-hmm. it's only like a little moment, and it's just right before he gets saved by the shoveler who shows up. Uh, mm-hmm. Not to be confused with... Uh, William H. Macy's character from Mystery Men. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, the shovel guy in this, Marley, who saves him. And it's like, hey, he made this friend and he looked out for him. And, you know, that's kind of sweet as well, you know? And I guess that'll be one of my very few critiques here is that this felt super deus ex machina. This felt super like there's no reason that the guy should have even known anything was going on here like why would he have shown up inside this random person's house uh, yeah i see what you're saying. i guess i could like there's a lot of camo because like we've established that most of the streets are away in vacation so the only mm-hmm. noise or anything he might know and he's noticed kevin a few times throughout the movie he's made friends yeah. with him at this point maybe he saw him running across the street and then he saw these two guys chasing after him like he, maybe one shot of him noticing that would just be enough to say hey that's why oh, yeah. he knows but maybe they don't want to spoil a surprise that he's going to come and save them. You know, they want it to be a Christmas miracle yeah. kind of for the, thing. For the surprise aspect, I think it's necessary because they do the whole thing of he has very iconic boots that he's wearing this yes. entire time. And so they do the thing of showing the boots stepping into the house first. So you can have that little buildup of like, oh, here he is. But yeah, I think that it does come at the sacrifice of it seems like he just shows up out of nowhere 
and it doesn't make a lot of sense and it is it, i wouldn't even care so much if it were like an in the middle sort of thing but it's the thing that wraps everything up sure i think for me all the contrivances to make the the basic plot work feel like a bigger thing mm. to me than just him showing up at the right moment i'm like yeah, I, mean, I, yeah. I can that feels like a normal movie contrivance as opposed to the rest of them which are all like no we have to contrive everything to make it so that this setup actually happens and works you know yeah i mean for me i think the biggest thing contrivance wise for this third act is that they specifically point out that all of the automatic lights turn on around seven o'clock at night mm. like they go out of their way to say that and then they say that the wet bandits are coming back to this house at nine o'clock so that means as we see Kevin running back to his home, as all the automatic lights turns on, he makes his entire plan of how to take out these guys, has everything set up in just two hours. That's oh, the yeah, part that seems yeah. crazy to me. And it, it, I mean, at least they, don't, they make it so that he runs out of time because he makes some mac and cheese and he's going to have dinner first. And it's like, oh, no, shit, it's nine o'clock. Oh, well, uh. <laughs> waste of mac and cheese. I don't like mac and cheese, so I'm OK. Just in it. Let me just describe how rich and creamy it is, Pete. Let me just go through. Jess, kill it with fire. Anyway. That being said, I, I I did love, he gave a little prayer there right before he was about to eat. And it was like, uh, we give thanks for the people who made this truly nutritious microwave <laughs> mac and cheese meal. Uh, it definitely isn't. And then he also thanks the people for putting it on uh, discount. He's like, discount, uh, yeah. thanks for being on sale. I'm like, hey, you have no idea how much more people are being thankful when things are on discount in 20, yep. 30 years. God. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, police come and get the wet bandits. And Kevin, as far as the police are concerned, are n- is never involved in anything because they nope. just they catch them in this house. Uh, and as we said earlier, because they've got this calling card, so, oh, yeah, you've done all this to all these houses. So mm-hmm. uh, they take him away. And that's 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 that. Uh but then we get the heartfelt, you know, conclusion. We have the the mom on the way back. You know, we, we briefly mentioned John Candy offering to give her a lift, but it's when she's yep. yelling in the airport uh, at the woman who works at the desk uh, or the guy that's working at the desk, and he's like, "Hey, you're getting to Chicago? Well, we have to take a truck to to Wisconsin." Milwaukee. Or yeah, yeah, that's in Milwaukee. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm not Milwaukee, wrong. Wisconsin. You're good. Yeah, uh, and like, hey, so we're going through Chicago. Do you want? You can tag along if you want. And she's like, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, let's go. Um, and he tells us a few stories on the way, which are quite dark and weird. Mm-hmm. But they get there, and Kevin wakes up. It's Christmas morning, and he's hoping his parents are just there. And this is the thing: after the whole night, he then decorated the, the living room with stockings, and he, you know, the trees yep. there. He's he's made it all nice, and he wakes up hoping she's back, and he's sad that she isn't. But then she comes in and he hears her voice and it's you know, this quiet moment where he doesn't give away that he's happy to see her at first until <laughs> you know, just just enough to like make her that guilt that she's feeling that oh, yeah. he, he might hate me now because I abandoned him. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then he hugs her. It's all sweet. And then the Christmas miracle of the morning is that she says, oh, no one else can make it. It's just me. But then two seconds later, the door opens yep. and it's everyone's there well not everyone it's only the direct family the, the cousins and the aunt and uncle didn't bother coming uncle frank died on the way <laughs> now he stayed in paris because he's getting free food from his brother true but the sounds of it so th- that's the miracle part of it and you know it's all very happy and even buzz mm-hmm. is happy to see him and they're surprised he- actually the, the big thing i have though is that when mm-hmm. he says he got groceries and he said yeah i got milk and eggs and detergent yeah. they're like they never ask how he paid for it I, I thought they were going like why why wouldn't they ask that 
that, yeah. that's that, that, that's kind of a big question like, where did they get the money i mean at that exact moment i'm sure they're just more awestruck because again when they last left kevin he didn't know how to pack a bag yes. he had no idea how to do it and at that point they're like not only did you live on your own but like you balanced our checkbook what <laughs> You you decorated the place. You cleaned yeah. seemingly cleaned the house well enough while we were gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Why is there blood in the basement? <laughs> well, that does find the gold tooth. That that is yep. a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's just him getting his family back. This is his reward for doing the the right thing and defending his house. You know, it's, it's all yep. all ties up. And then just as a final little bow on the whole thing, he looks out the window and the man who saved him, who he's inspired to reach out to his family is reunited with his son and he's hugging his granddaughter and it's the mm-hmm. perfect christmas ending you know it's, it's, it's literally a christmas card with a snow falling it's and that, and, that, and that's something that i think we've maybe not even mentioned up to this point is that this movie is so christmassy because there's snow the whole time there's yep. christmas lights everywhere it feels as christmas as all hell like you, yeah you know. that's that's the thing like the third act itself there's nothing that inherently forces this to be at christmas outside of everyone's going to be gone and therefore the wet bandits can strike but you could have that be you know they go on summer vacation they're out to the poconos or whatever and the entire family is gone they could easily rob them then it's only these like heartfelt moments these moments where there's this feeling of family and stuff like that that solidifies it in that sort of christmas cheer i think it's that aspect but it's also the fact that it's like kid wish fulfillment and kids get mm-hmm what they want at christmas they get presents oh, at yeah. christmas and i think that ties into why it's a christmas movie too it's like mm. he he gets to have the time of his life or what he thinks is going to be the time of his life until he realizes no i do want my family back that's kind of like a a monkey's paw christmas present in a way yeah and i, I think that ties into it as well so uh it works from multiple angles and the movie ends with buzz finding his room and not being pleased about it so kevin yeah. looks scared again it was there was a point like three I, I forgot that last line was even a thing and about like three minutes prior buzz is like kind of congratulating kevin he's like yeah, yeah i guess you could survive on your own and they like share a look and all i did was i just in my head said i broke all your stuff buzz and there's nothing you could do about it <laughs> oh dear yeah i i mean the movie is very entertaining the the, the and there's, there's so many little mo- like so many scenes are just very kind of memorable in my mind because they're quotable mm-hmm. Or even when they're in Paris and they're watching It's a Wonderful Life, but it's in French, so they're just kind of like sitting there being miserable because they can't do yeah. anything. Uh, and it's, it's like 50-50, the family is either miserable because it's, you know, everything's in French and they're just kind of bored. But then some of the family is actually worried about Kevin. Yeah, and they're like, yeah. oh, I, I hope he's okay over there. It feels weird doing Christmas without a family member here. Yeah, uh, and there's that scene actually just before, I think, the... It's either just before or after he speaks to the Santa and goes to the church, but he, he walks past, like, a house where there's, like, a family all, mm. like, getting together for Christmas, and, you know, he's, like, looking in and feeling sad. In my memory. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's all very sweet, and I think it works as a hijinks kids mo- kid movie, but there's also a lot of nice messages in it. And mm. watching it as an adult, it's... Honestly, like you said, the script is very tight and it sets a lot of things up. It pays them off. There's an arc for the character. The mm-hmm. arc is kind of sweet because it's him defending the house because it's for his family. Like, yeah. all of it kind of clicks together and it's kind of a great little Christmas movie. And it may be my favorite Christmas movie, honestly, just because it's yeah, the one fair. that I, I, I was the most attached to this as a kid. And when I mean, it comes to Christmas, nostalgia is kind of a big thing, you know? Yeah, it's like 
50% the name of the game there is just how much of this was around when you were a child. Well, I, th and... I, think, I think the movie works nostalgia regardless, but I think because Christmas itself, because you feel the most potent towards Christmas when you're a kid, when it's magical, when it's real, right. when, when you really feel it, that naturally a movie that not only was around at that time, which will work for us in our age group, but I think mm -hmm. even just on its own, the idea that it's tapping into how a kid feels about this holiday will work for anyone anyway. So I think it works in multiple levels. So Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a reason that this movie does keep on getting more and more installments well after the point where it shouldn't. Like, no, stop. Please. No, it should have stopped, yeah. But it's because it's just able to bank on that original one, and probably two as well, as we'll get to in the next couple oh, of yeah, days. I'll, but... I, mean, I, I mean, I won't spoil too many thoughts. I'll just say I'm going to be sticking up for two quite a bit. That's fine. That's fair. But it's, it's purely off of the idea that that first one just nailed it so perfectly that they are able to keep coming back to the well. And people, I mean, they're negative on the more recent ones, but they aren't that negative when the new I mean, one people, comes out people are negative about two as well like people say oh two is one of those sequels that just copied the first film again and i'm yeah. going to spend a lot of the next review like i, I don't i don't know there's valid critiques there's one big negative in two that I'm, i'll talk about but okay. by and large i think there's a lot of really smart interesting things and i'll i'll, I'll make my case for it but all right you know after that point yeah it's just kind of these weird like sequels that you know it's one thing to not have Kevin, but to not have Harry and Marv is really the big thing mm. beyond that point. So I'm kind see, of I, I'm almost morbidly excited to get to those later sequels and see what all the bad guys are like. See, it's one of those weird things though, where I can I can accept there always being like different villains of different people showing up, but it's because they do show back up in two again that it does kind of seem like a series staple. Yeah. Where it's then weird when they change it. But I'm actually more okay with the child being different each time because you forget your child once, that's an accident. Oh, yeah. <laughs> twice, that's child endangerment. Yes, yes. That's 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 a problem for sure. Yeah. Uh plus two has a lot of weird things that I'm sure are gonna feel funny because of time's moved on. Bro, I already know what you're saying. Don't. Just so, don't. I don't want to talk about it yet. Don't do it. I mean, there's two big things I'm thinking of, and you're definitely oh. thinking of one of them. But yeah. there's two that are coming to mind, but we'll talk about that next time. Yep. Uh, we should rate Home Alone we out of should. 10. Oh, boy. So, I mean, for me, it's it's good. It's great. I'm looking back at the ratings that I gave to the Santa Claus franchise. Not because they're even close to being able to be compared, but I just want to see how much this movie's going to eclipse them. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I... I I really enjoyed this, and I have... I don't think I quite have as strong of an attachment as you do. I didn't quite grow up with it as much. Mm. Um, but it was around. It was something that I did see occasionally growing up. But like I said, it's been at least a decade since I've seen it. So with how tight the writing is, the score is just... It's now just Christmas. Like, it's <laughs> no longer the Home Alone theme. It's just, here's a Christmas song. Um, I gotta give this one... 8.5 i think it's really really good the only thing that i will criticize it for is that the end of the wet bandits does feel a little bit deus ex machina but it's a small thing in comparison to the yeah. rest of the movie and how it all worked out yeah i'm also gonna go 8.5 um like i think in terms of how important it is to my childhood and like how much i care about it is pr probably like a 10 in that level but mm. 
but in terms of like looking at it as a movie i think it's an 8.5 i think it it's funny uh it makes use like we said of all the minor characters like almost everyone's got at least one quotable line you remember all these scenes very easily it's very well paced it's structured properly it works on the surface level with the hijinks and the the fun of just you know making traps to so the two goofball villains get hurt all that yeah. stuff works, but then it's got these other things that you know, it's tightly constructed. There's setup and payoff. There's so many things. Uh, mm-hmm. as, as convoluted as some of the setup is, it does manage it all uh, and makes it all come across. So it's not realistic, but no. it, it, it establishes things in its own terms that it then sticks to for the most part. It's, it's that thing that we always come back to is if you set up rules for how your world works, yes. you need to stick by them. And this is class act with that it, yeah it sets up all these things at the beginning and it the rules of the that. real world are nothing but a rough guideline right yep. what's important is what you set up in your movie and see how it works mm-hmm. uh so yeah 8.5 i think it's a really solid movie and yep. i yeah I, it's easy to rewatch this one you know there was no oh, like, sure. I, after doing a couple of extra reels recently recording schedule wise <laughs> this was just a treat to sit down and you know yep. enjoy um yeah so I think it makes the cut, I would say, easily. I I agree. Do you want to make the argument for above that? Because obviously you're saying it's a 10 uh, for you personally. Well, no, I'm not. I'm saying it's an 8.5. I'm, I'm saying that on a nostalgia level, it's like a 10, right. right? Right. But is that enough to get it into a cut above? I don't know. I'm I'm enough of a movie like nerd that i don't mm-hmm. know if i necessarily let that cloud my judgment that much. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm still, no, I still have a better perspective here. Uh so I would still just say it makes the cut. I wouldn't say it's a cut above, but I'll I'll hard agree. But I've seen uh, nothing wrong with that. Like, it, it, yeah, it's my favorite Christmas movie in a sense, but at the same time, it's not because my favorite movie that's set at Christmas is not this. Is it Die Hard? Yes, which I do consider a Christmas movie. But that's, that's mo- fair. But this movie's more like pure Christmas. This yeah. is like Christmas injected into your veins, whereas Die Hard is an action movie wrapped in Christmas paper and that's that's fair that's great yeah yeah so uh yeah but i i grew up watching home alone and die hard so the the fact that they are the little and big brother of each other in a lot of ways is not a it, surprise to the, me the fact you grew up with that really makes me want to see what happens to people that try to break into your apartment because i feel like <laughs> the two of those combined just immediately sets you up for all right here we go <laughs> that I, I, I reminds me i need to buy some big knives just in case yep um so there you go that's home alone obviously next time later this week in fact uh mm-hmm. assuming we're the first ones earlier in the week i assume i this believe week. it is yep this one's yeah. going out on a wednesday so okay. so good right later this week yep. then you'll get home alone 2 lost in new york and mm-hmm. from after that it's all fun and games because we get into the the non-remembered ones so yeah We'll see how that goes. But yes, let us know what you think of Home Alone in the comments and all that stuff. And of course, Mm -hmm. you can support us most of all by going over to patreon.com slash TV and hitting the the join button and pick a tier, get some bonuses, help keep the lights on. We have two monthly bonus shows specifically from us two. We have the Criterion Mm -hmm. Cut, which is a monthly show where we do movies from the Criterion Collection. So it's the best of the best. And then we have a monthly show at the $5 and up tier called Extra Reels, where we do the worst of the worst. Sometimes they're so bad they're amazing, but sometimes they're just misery. Wait for your Christmas gift this year, kitties. Jesus. <laughs> what is the Christmas episode of Extra Reels? Uh, it was a David Dakota film. 
It was a talking cat. It was That's a talking right. cat. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. So if you want access to that, you can go be a patron. Uh, you get bonuses for other stuff as well, away from Collector's Cut and whatnot. But yep. that is the show. So thank you very much for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep watching movies. And, oh, there's so many quotes to choose from from this one. What's my favorite? Does Kevin use such a disease? There's, you know, uh, are you thirsty for more? You know, <laughs> all these things. Uh, but, I mean, I guess I'll just wrap up with... Uh, the, 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 the Bye, guys. Bye.